listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Type 2 Diabetes. Don't sugarcoat it. Delivering bite-sized pieces of information to your ears. My name is John Anderson, and I practice internal medicine and diabetes at the Frist Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a part of a large multi-specialty clinic, and while I have expertise in diabetes, I'm still a primary care physician. This program is intended for clinicians. The information presented in this podcast is aligned with the views and opinions of the speakers and is sponsored by Novo Nordisk. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice. I'm pleased to be joined by Drs. Stephen Brunton and James LaSalle to discuss today's topic, beta cell function and its critical role in T2D pathogenesis, what clinicians and patients know or should know about it, and how it is measured in the clinic. We'll wrap up with some thoughts on how what we know about beta cell function in T2D may affect future research on T2D treatment. Stephen, Jim, would you like to introduce yourselves? Well, good day. That's what Australians say. I'm, I'm Stephen Brunton. I'm a family physician. I work in rural South Carolina uh, as a, in a, a multi-family practice group. I'm also the executive director of the Primary Care Metabolic Group, and additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of Clinical Diabetes, which is the ADA's Primary Care Journal. Hi to my colleagues uh, across the country. I'm Jim LaSalle. I'm a primary care physician. I have about 40 years of clinical experience. I'm published, and I've been the principal investigator in over 150 clinical trials, and it's certainly my pleasure to, to join this group. Well, welcome to both of you. You know, our patients experience a lot of ups and downs in their journey with T2D management, and there's a lot that we still don't understand about how this disease really develops in the first place. What puts a person at risk for the development of T2D, and what are the pathophysiologic defects that are occurring as patients progress from prediabetes to type 2 diabetes? What do we know about what drives the progression of type 2 diabetes? Well, we've always known that beta cell dysfunction is a primary driver of diabetes and that we see progressive decline. Perhaps more recently, we recognize that insulin resistance is also part of that and that it actually helps drive that decline that we see in beta cell function. There may be other factors as well, but insulin resistance and beta cell function could be viewed as the most profound or basic drivers of chronic hyperglycemia. You know, uh, I would say the biggest driver... Uh, driving patients from normal through pre-diabetes to adults with type 2 diabetes is weight gain. And I certainly agree with what Stephen said. The patients that are overweight or obese, they have increased concentrations of free fatty acids in their blood. Free fatty acids in high concentrations blunt the biological activities of insulin, creating the state of insulin resistance. Increased free fatty acids impair the ability of insulin to, to work properly. Insulin should suppress glucose output in the liver, and it should provide skeletal muscles the ability to uptake glucose. The body's response to insulin resistance is to make more insulin. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we have a much greater understanding of what's going on, and there's probably things we don't fully understand. Where I practice, the average BMI is way over 30. We, we actually fry our salads in the south where I live, so we see a tremendous prevalence of type 2 diabetes. And I think all of these, you know, the weight, the fatty acids, the insulin resistance, decreased sensitivity in diabetes are all related. And there's a lot going on, but they all put stress on the beta cell, which is really the, the fundamental aspect, I think, of what we're seeing. So, Jim, can you walk us through what we know about the progression 
of beta cell dysfunction, both in prediabetes and in the development of type 2 diabetes. Increasing abdominal girth is a clinical clue of what's happening in your patient's body. The incretin system stimulates the release of insulin and suppresses glucagon secretion. Beta cells make insulin. Studies suggest that as type 2 diabetes nears, there's a marked decrease in incretin function and beta cell mass is decreased by as much as 40 to 60 percent. Postprandial hyperglycemia is a clinical sign of beta cell failure. All of these occur before the fasting blood sugar exceeds 126 milligrams per deciliter. And to your point, by the time someone has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, studies suggest that there may have been over 80% dysfunction of their beta cells. So we've used glucose, but we've also used increasingly A1C as the barometer for declining beta cell function as we go from those defined parameters of prediabetes into where there is such dysglycemia that we then call it T2D. What do we know about the development of hyperglycemia as it impacts beta cells? I think we've developed a more sophisticated understanding of what's going on with hyperglycemia, particularly is able to monitor the variation and fluctuations of glucose that we see now with more availability of continuous glucose monitoring. I think what we see is there's increasing toxicity that hyperglycemia causes in both the beta cells and also in other systems of the body. So we see there's an increase in apoptosis, we see decreased beta cell proliferation, even in glucolipotoxicity, oxidative stress, and there's a whole activation of the inflammatory system. All of these are known to be associated with decreased beta cell mass and eventual loss of beta cell function. Hyperglycemia in at least type 2 diabetes results from diminished beta cell function as well as insulin resistance. Beta cells fail when the stimulus for beta cell proliferation and beta cell neogenesis are diminished. Endogenous GLP-1 has a suggested role in pancreatic beta cell proliferation and apoptosis. When glucose levels are chronically high, despite normal GLP-1 secretion, GLP-1 receptor expression is decreased. A diminished GLP-1 and incretin effect is seen. Insulin secretion synthesis are decreased and beta cell death is increased. So clearly beta cell dysfunction plays a critical role in the pathogenesis and development of type 2 diabetes. Those of us out in the trenches in the primary care world may not completely understand the intricacies around beta cell dysfunction and the progressive nature of the loss of beta cell mass in type 2 diabetes pathogenesis. Jim, what are your thoughts on this? Insulin has a very narrow therapeutic window of activity. Too much or too little insulin affects multiple pathways beyond glucose disposal. With insulin resistance, there's a higher concentration of insulin to maintain euglycemia. With beta cell failure, there's too little insulin and hyperglycemia occurs and incretin hormones such as GLP-1 play a role in stimulating insulin secretion. So I'd like to make a point here. From working with residents, they'll often blame patients for the declining control, but frankly, this is really a reflection of the fact that the beta cells can't keep up. There's going to be progressive nature of diabetes, and the focus really is that the beta cell just is becoming less able to meet its physiological needs.
It's interesting, Stephen. You know, you talk about the residents. What about the patients themselves? I mean, when patients are really trying to do their best and maybe even succeeding in lifestyle and diet modification, but notice that their diabetes may be progressing, what do you think about educating our patients about the progression of beta cell loss? I think you're right, John. We don't spend enough time discussing this with the patients. We talk about discussing insulin very early on when the patients are diagnosed, but a lot of patients are going to see the progression of diabetes as a failure. So just as we clinicians watch the fact that we have less control, the patients are seeing that too. They may be doing everything we're telling them to do, but they are seeing that their A1C is rising despite the fact they're on a diet and taking the medication that they're prescribed. They feel that they're failing, but it's not them. It's the beta cell, the insidious insulin resistance, and the whole pathophysiology of diabetes. So that's an important concept, I think, to discuss with patients, that the nature of this disease is progressive, and we can forestall and delay progression as much as we can, but inevitably, you're not going to be on the same medication in year one as you are in year 10. Stephen, can you talk to us about how we measure beta cell function? Well, I think traditionally, you know, we've used A1C to, to measure diabetes control, and there are standard blood glucose tests that do help with looking at sugar, such as, you know, postprandial blood glucose, and as I mentioned now, continuous glucose monitoring. There are also a test that can look specifically at beta cell function. Some are better than others, but, but are more difficult to perform in clinical settings. For example, you can measure the acute insulin response or use a glucagon challenge test or oral glucose tolerance test, which I think we've used a lot in the past. For practicality, the HOMO-B test is an example of a simple beta cell test that's easy to form in a clinical setting from a single blood sample. So we know about the role of beta cell dysfunction in the pathophysiology of T2D. What are your thoughts on research in type 2 diabetes and on preservation of beta cell function? Where do we need to head to? What do we know? Obviously, the answer is exploratory research, trying to understand more about how these parts insulin resistance, beta cell mass, beta cell function, and hyperglycemia all fit together in the pathophysiology of type 2 diabetes. We've learned a lot in the last 10 or 15 years, but there's still a lot to learn in the details of how this works. Genes are activated. There are different gene expressions that correlate to beta cell function. The issue is that we need more information on gene expression in different populations to understand how fast this disease progresses and why some populations get a lot of complications and why some don't get any at all. Yeah, it's sort of an exciting time to be managing diabetes. We're seeing a lot of research in type 2 diabetes, and that's, I think, very promising. A lot of the focus is going to be on ways we can mitigate progressive decline in beta cell function and beta cell mass with the goal to preserve this as long as possible in an effort to slow that progression of type 2 diabetes. Yeah, right. So really what we're looking for is a class of agents that have a durability of effect in terms of preserving beta cell function. And use of these agents early in type 2 diabetes can afford the possibility that we may be able to seriously mitigate this inevitable decline. Well, Jim and Stephen, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, T2D Don't Sugarcoat It. Please join us next time. I'm Dr. John Anderson. Thanks for listening.